At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Greetings from Malaga, Spain. At least that's where I am. Taking a long overdue vacation with my wife. Try to get as much out of this offseason as we can. How you doing, man? I'm all right. Um, kind of processing, having a little bit, a little bit less to do, um, which is mostly good. Um, but we, we, we still have, we still have some stuff to catch, not only to catch up on, but also a, a lot of the news that has happened. We will, uh, we'll talk about it in the context because we're doing East offseason grades, and a lot of it happens to be Eastern Conference news, like Barca Smart and Embiid and and everything else. But we got a couple of questions um, because we recorded the West grades while we were in Vegas, and I think it released a couple of days later so we got asked about well how does how does this and how does that affect things and so i figure that's the place that we should start and it mostly involves patrick beverly changing destinations a couple of times yeah it does let's begin with the terms of the clippers trade with the memphis grizzlies from a couple of days ago yeah so the, the first of these deals which were done separately um i i don't know specifically about how the like how the recruits made but it seems like they were done separately and, and so in in the first trade the clippers traded patrick beverly rajon rondo and daniel Aturu to the grizzlies in exchange for eric bledsoe and the financial part of this is important i would say probably for both teams the clippers saved roughly six million for this season um though they cleared out they cleared out a roster law jam but i think they cleared an extra spot so let's say it saved them 30 million in tax it might end up being a little bit less than that but saved them a bunch of money for this year however they took on eric bledsoe's 3.9 million partial guarantee for next year which i think is the reason memphis did it so basically the clippers shed money for the coming season and the grizzlies shed it for the season after yeah and for memphis next season they are a team that could potentially have cap space one of the few yes yeah that that's right and that might be a time for them we've talked about how the really the last two years have gone towards more of a consolidation mode in market contrast to new orleans with whom they traded before the draft in particular and so as of right now, with the $27 million cap hold for Jaron Jackson Jr., they project to have $23 million in space. But my guess would be that Jaron Jackson Jr. will sign an extension that doesn't start at quite that much. Agreed. And they could also move on from John Conchar as well to open up some more space. So they could get to max cap room next year. Now, we'll at some point soon be talking about the free agent class next year and who's going to have money and all that that's probably a podcast we'll try to get to in the next few weeks that we got the summer league stuff to get to as well it's going to take up a lot of our time so that seems like really what this is about 
And let's discuss it here first from the Clippers standpoint, and then we can kind of get to Memphis and the Minnesota portion. So what did you think of this for LA? I personally didn't like it for them. I I think that in many ways... Lawrence Frank and the Clippers made a bet that what we saw from Eric Bledsoe last year was non-representative. He, like, so I had been hopeful that Bledsoe being away from the Bucks, where Boonholzer didn't really ask him to do what Bledsoe, you know, offensively, like what he had done at times well with pick and roll and everything else, and that, that he was going to have an opportunity to bounce back with the Pelicans. And that definitely did not happen. And Bledsoe has, you know, so if you want the kind of the basic stats on that, 53% shooting last year on about 19% use um was only at 50 percent on twos and the lowest free throw attempt per 36 of Bledsoe's like starter career and yeah part of that I mean some of that got a little bit consumed by Point Zion and the terrible spacing that a lot of those Pelicans lineup had but also Bledsoe to me he lost he lost something defensively and the Clippers probably don't feel that way um and so what I'm interested in is from from the Clippers perspective I mean they're I would say they're not a championship contender without Kawhi Leonard. I don't think that's necessarily a bold stance. So you're thinking about this in kind of two different frameworks. One is Bledsoe, I do think, can help them more than Beverly can during the non-Kawhi portion of the season, which could be the whole damn thing. We don't know that for sure at this moment because he has more he has more capability on ball. And Bledsoe, there's reason to believe, like, I mean, he's had a much stronger defensive rep. He's had a strong defense, not going to say stronger than Beverly. He's had a he's been a capable defender for years, had a rough year last year. Um, but the Pelicans defense was just a tire fire. So maybe that's apportioning blame to various different players and everything like that. So I'm but then I'm more ambivalent and more negative, I would say, about his fit with Kawhi for the time, hopefully, that Kawhi Leonard returns. And to me, like there are two different questions, but I I am more like championship window focused, I guess. So I don't love this for the Clippers. So it's still as we go through this again, I mean, just we probably it probably hasn't been talked about enough in NBA media circles, just how much it sucks that Kawhi Leonard is probably going to miss an entire year. And yeah, that I mean, the Clippers were would have been my pick to come out of the West if he were healthy. And now that's just not going to happen. The West is going to be really an odd situation this year. I guess we're going to favor the Lakers. So Bledsoe, yeah, he does give you more on ball than Patrick Beverly. You know, I think as a fit, if Kawhi were healthy, I would like Beverly better. And Beverly, amazing as it is to say, made himself into a decent shooter. Bledsoe has been a huge liability there. Presumably, they will have zero interest in retaining Bledsoe beyond this year. So they take on the $3.9 million in dead money. You know, Rondo, maybe they just felt like they didn't want to play him. They didn't want to keep him around. You know, that remember right after they acquired him, he was playing so well. And everyone was like, oh, this guy's the greatest thing ever. And then by the end of the Dallas series who's relatively out of the rotation they tried playing him again in the Utah series and Ty Lue went away from that pretty quickly so I think they accurately concluded that he couldn't necessarily help them that much and so they do save some money it's just this is because Kawhi is out I I could see a way that it could work better for the Clippers on the floor I would say that Bledsoe has more upside still but he also has the possibility of just being a real liability defensively or I'm sorry on offense because he can't shoot and then defensively no I don't think that he is the player that Patrick Beverly was does he have the capability of maybe getting to be that guy again in a winning situation and doing some switching the way they're probably still going to want to do a fair amount maybe he could run a little bit more pick and roll but they already have Reggie Jackson to kind of do that stuff too he's not a good fit 
next to Jackson as well. So now he is a good bet to be healthier. He's been pretty healthy over the last few years, which was a big concern for him in Phoenix, but he barely has missed time over these last few years. So that's another concern, just that Beverly is older. He's going to fall off a cliff potentially. So I don't really know how this is going to work out. You know, we got asked how this would change our offseason grade for the Clippers. I don't think that this really changes it very much for me. I had them at an A before they managed to keep everyone. I mean, maybe I would move it down to an A minus, but but again, I just, if Kawhi were still here, I would like it a lot worse for them, but he's not probably not going to play at all. So in that case, he has to hold on. I just don't understand the 3.9 million for next year that they're clearly going to have to get off in some fashion. Yeah. And maybe Stu Palmer's just okay with that. That's just a part of the, a part of the transaction, but also, I, just to have it out there, this is this will be Bledsoe's age 32 season. It is possible that any degradation we've seen on defense is just that's just the way things are going to be moving forward. And athletic players, which Bledsoe, you know, you know, as as, as starts to work, sometimes they age differently. And I could see it, I could see it falling off a little bit more quickly for him than for Beverly. Um, and so in the earlier parts of the oh, and another Clippers note before we move on to the Grizzlies, just so we have it out there, Bobby Marks correctly noted uh, during the gap between our last recordings that because Kawhi Leonard I think he formally signed like physically signed the contract we already had the terms we talked about that previously that um because Leonard was a free agent and the injury occurred before his free agency the Cl- the Clippers cannot apply for a disabled player exception for his partially torn ACL um I don't know that they would have used that DPE anyway but just to note that they cannot so then for the Grizzlies we wondered okay why are they taking on Beverly Rondo and Oturu they got off of they got off the money oh, oh wait wait a minute hold on though what are the Clippers going to do without the fifth most valuable player in franchise history Daniel Oturu <laughs> I mean, they did make the conference finals because of that crazy-ass game. Partially because of that crazy-ass game. Um, but so for Memphis, what, the first part of this, we're like, well, and we'll treat it as one whole because it all happened during this time. Like, kind of what the hell are they going to do? They already had a ton of guaranteed contracts on their books. They just added three, uh, though they did take off money for the uh, 22-23 season. And, in, and they also had this crazy overstuffed guard rotation because they added Beverly and Rondo to a point guard rotation that already had John Morant as the centerpiece and they have Tyus Jones still on a one one more year on his contract that partially resolved a couple days later when the Grizz traded Beverly to Minnesota for Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez and so what that does theoretically if, if, if Culver and Hernan Gomez stick in Memphis which my expectation is that they will is that okay you move off of Beverly you get two kind of potential players and it also gives that climate in the front office a an a, a, I'll call it an evaluation window on Culver because Culver, you know, top pick very recently was he has a a team option and for rookie scale contracts that team option has to be decided a full year ahead of time so basically at the start of the the current season they'll have to decide whether they want to pay Jarrett Culver a fully guaranteed 8.1 million for the following season and then Juancho Hernan Gomez has a fully guaranteed year this year but then is non-guaranteed for 22-23 as well well, and actually, uh, an important distinction there, you can you still get to decide on the rookie options at the end of October. So they will actually yes. have a, you know, a few days to see Culver maybe playing in games. The other thing, too, is that Culver is slated to make, if that option were to be picked up. It's $8.1 million. Yeah, so that might give them enough headroom to re-sign him anyway. Um, yeah, and- that's, oh, that's true on the decline, decline it and then pay him. Yeah. Yeah, so if you 
I mean, so I, I think that they will probably decline it. And that's a, what I have in my projections. Uh, and I also have them declining uh, Hernan Gomez as well. When I was talking about them, the, the amount of cap space they might have a little bit earlier uh, that I, I that they will decline Culver and, you know, they could resign. But he's kind of he's kind of the new Justice Winslow for them now, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a, a reasonable way to, to interpret it. And Culver... You and I were both low on him as a draft pick. Uh, just kind of wondered what his what his go to skill was going to be. But a totally worthy lottery ticket for the Grizzlies. I mean, they they now have seemingly an infinite number of players on their roster. But Culver is talented, and be, you know maybe he can find a little bit of on ball verve there, and he can defend multiple positions. And then Wancho, like it, it's always been a question of kind of whether his jump shot would come around. I think he's a smart player. He's better on the glass than um than some guys his size but it, it, it's kind of like the whole the whole picture doesn't make sense unless he can make shots and spread out the defense a little bit and he really didn't do that in minnesota last year to the tune of 33 percent on actually the highest three-point volume of his career so memphis also has an overstuffed front court rotation you think about kyle anderson and jaron and now stephen adams and brandon clark and all these other guys so like they'll get a chance to see it and with wancho maybe i don't even think they would stretch it i think they would just kind of keep around and maybe cut him if they have to but i think wancho i think he's one of the 15 best players on their roster we'll just have to see if that's enough to get him in yeah he sure did not have an impressive season a year ago but he does potentially uh, fill a need for them and you know his rebounding you mentioned at that stretch four position could maybe be an okay fit with jaron he's at one point he had some switchability but yeah i mean it's been years now since he flashed that potential early uh, in denver and from minnesota's standpoint beverly i think helps them he makes up for the loss of ricky rubio he gives them more of a defensive identity you like his fit reasonably well next to d'angelo russell and anthony edwards you'd think he is probably gonna start he also now we thought oh maybe they're gonna just have leandro Palmaro be the backup point guard and beverly may he's kind of more of a two offensively at this point anyway you know malik beasley could have his playing time squeeze me one of beasley or bulmaro uh, is going to play less josh akogi probably gonna play less uh, as well also for a team that's so focused on the regular season a guy who doesn't have the greatest track record of staying healthy over the course of a regular season it, you worry about that as well but the bigger thing is man i mean this is what a terrible draft pick for the wolves Jarrett Culver turned out to be when we talk about the worst draft picks uh, of the last five years uh you know we've done we've done that pod uh, before for the previous five years I mean, that's going to be really bad and some said that they made that trade before the draft to move up and try to get Darius Garland thinking that the Cavs would never take another point guard after they already had Sexton and then they lost Garland and Garland would have been an interesting fit there uh if they get Garland maybe they never trade for D'Angelo Russell uh, a lot of things could have been different about the Wolves but Culver to me was by far the worst of that group of guys now it wasn't an amazing list behind him necessarily of guys who got drafted but yeah I mean to basically be given up on it after two years he was mostly injured last year as well and this shows you how low an opinion they have of him to trade him for a how old is Beverly like 32 on the last year of his contract yeah, for a rental of a guy who I don't think is even going to start for yeah. them. I think they're going to start Russell, Edwards, and Beasley, but Beverly will play plenty. I think he's in many ways the primary backup for all three gentlemen. So I think, I don't know yeah. how Finch wants to run the rotation. And so Be- Beverly's 33 now. 
Yeah, and so to trade him at a, at a position where they still don't have anyone, by the way, they still don't have a three on this roster. Uh, that's that's not too good. And Wancho, you know, seemed like a reasonable flyer, but but obviously did not work out. It and seems headed for getting that non guarantee exercised uh, as well. You know, but they did get Beasley, and, he, and he's someone who's sticking around. So that was a that trade with Denver seems like a a reasonable one in retrospect. So, uh, you know, for Again, I wouldn't say that this trade really changes things too much uh, for either team. You know, I think the the Wolves maybe get a little bit better for this year, but they also still give up on whatever upside Wancho and Culver still had. Generally, when teams give up on guys like that, that means they don't have upside left to explore. But you know, you can also say, hey, that upside wasn't going to be realized in Minnesota. He needed a fresh start. They got Anthony Edwards, who is pretty much the same size as Culver, even if they're both kind of two, three ish. And oh, so yeah. One one other note for Minnesota: um, we don't know, and their draft pick is going to have a huge factor in how much spending power they have. Minnesota by clearing off of um, Culver, who they could have just declined the option if they wanted that flexibility. Um, and Hernan Gomez, like there is a possibility that they have cap space i don't think it would be a significant amount we're talking more in the like 15 million dollar range so often in that area it's better to actually just stay over than they could retain some of their pending free agents potentially including beverly or prince if they wanted to but there is a possibility the real challenge for minnesota in terms of creating what i call it usable cap space like 20 million plus is most of their salary for 22-23 is tied up in a small number of players. And when that happens, it's very hard to open up additional space because then it's like, well, you're going to trade Carl Towns, you're going to trade D'Angelo Russell, you're going to trade Malik Beasley. Like those sorts of things are much harder to do than, oh, you have a $5 million or a $10 million player that isn't a key part of your future. So like you could think about like Goran Dragic theoretically, though that was a team option, but like that sort of an idea of, okay, like player reasonably paid, not a part of your core can make that happen. But so Minnesota conceptually could make some noise in 22, but I don't I don't see it coming. Instead, they'll just have some more wiggle room under the tax. All right, let's get to the Eastern Conference grades here. And maybe to change things up, why don't we start at the bottom of the alphabet and begin with the Washington Wizards who did what? A lot. I mean, um, they so to kind of separate out the two trades that they did, because I think that's worthwhile. They traded because also we heard the reporting on it or with the three. So they traded Russell Westbrook for Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Kuzma, Harrell and the 22nd pick. Then they moved that 22nd pick into Indiana for Aaron Holiday in 31. Then they kind of folded the Spencer Dinwiddie trade, uh, the sign-in trade of Spencer Dinwiddie acquisition into that because they were taking on less salary than they were sending out. They also uh, had an additional component where they sent Chandler Hutchison to the Spurs. I believe that was with a second-round pick. And so they walk away adding Dinwiddie, Caldwell-Pope, Kuzma, Harrell, and Holiday. They drafted Corey Kispert 15th and Isaiah Todd 31st. And they lost Westbrook, as mentioned. Then in free agency, Robin Lopez, Ish Smith, Alex Len, Isaac Bonga. Um, and so, like, that's a that's a pretty massive overhaul for the franchise. Yeah, and of all the things you mentioned, really liked the Westbrook trade. John and I talked a little bit uh, about that. Uh, just getting some depth, more payroll flexibility going forward uh, as well. Supposedly, Beal was on board with this of course uh, their grade may change depending on Beal's signature or lack thereof on a contract extension and she'll be eligible to sign in October so that was all pretty good 
and they've got a number of good players at this point who can fill out their depth they really struggled with depth a couple of years ago they still were able to keep back howell neto as well who is a, an important backup for them and you know the 22 for holiday and number 31 which was todd i haven't had a chance to watch todd that much uh, from summer league yet holiday to me is an interesting flyer he, he can also play some backup point guard as well so i liked pretty much everything that they did dinwiddie to me was maybe the second best guy to change team or at least has the potential to be that and he really i, I think he could give them as much or more when you consider the totality of his contributions i think you give him as much or more than westrick did last year and also maybe a better fit next to beal due to his superior shooting where dinwiddie is waxed and waned on that but compared to westbrook it's going to be good i think he could be better defensively than westbrook an underrated passer and yeah just to get solid guys like caldwell pope kuzma harrell is going to be a very nice backup center for them i think uh they've got some different looks now that they can provide at center so i really like everything they did other than kispert really not a huge fan uh, of that pick not an upside guy other players uh, were on the board you know i think trey murphy is someone that i I would have been much more filling a a need for this group in the long term to get get some more wings in there uh sangoon obviously was uh, available at that point as well jalen johnson was available uh, at that point I did actually, li- I like Isaiah Jackson uh, as well. And yeah, he had able- a good summer league. Yeah, he did have a nice summer league. Usman Garuba could have been interesting. So there are a lot of guys uh, below Kispert well, and, 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 yeah. And on a similar line, um, I I don't have, I'm not super positive on Isaiah Todd either. I think that he's kind of, I don't really see his place in a in a rotation over the next couple years. He has plenty of space to improve. Well, well they need but- some more fours on this team. <laughs> yeah, can they send some of them to the, to the Timberwolves? Um, um but but yeah i mean it, i think i see your point there because he's doesn't really profile as like a great defensive player he's kind of like a scoring four you know is yeah. not really the the type of but you know he showed some ability to move his feet so i i don't want to yeah i want to see more closing, of him. i'm not closing the door and it's not as extreme as something like yeah. caleb swanigan when he went in the late first a couple of years ago where it's like oh i straight up have no idea how this guy's gonna work but it, i i think it's a harder fit and we mostly saw todd through our film work on two other g league igniters jalen green and kaminga but i didn't love i didn't love what I, it was actually surprising to me to see todd go that high and then dacian nicks who i actually liked much better not get drafted at all but well that's a, a separate thing so for me i gave the wizards an a minus i think one way of framing this is that even if russell westbrook is everything the lakers want him to be i think this is a really nice move for the wizards they kind of diversified their resources and got a bunch of players who who are capable who have reasonable contracts who they have less money extended moving forward that makes sense with and without bradley beal and to be able to do all that and bring in spencer dinwiddie who makes sense with beal who can who can be a part of it and dinwiddie being so reasonably paid i mean he's it's 17 million 18 million and then a partially guaranteed 18.9 that it becomes fully guaranteed if he plays in enough games so like i think dinwiddie there's a chance that it that he gets hurt again and everything else but i think he is a a very talented player i think he is somebody that can make a difference for them in a lot of different facets and i'm i'm extremely excited about that so yeah i i think they i think they did extremely well yeah, and being able to fold that trade in to the Westbrook trade where you didn't have to pay off someone like Oklahoma City to create a trade exception, that was good cap gymnastics. They didn't send Brooklyn a future first-round pick 
that they wanted it, brooklyn ended up blinking and, and also getting the trade exception themselves so they had to give up some seconds that they had stockpiled over the years but yeah i went for an a minus as well i was in between a minus and b plus just because kispert to me and again you know summer league was not amazing for him and just for an older guy you'd like to see more but you know again it's summer league you don't go crazy on it but yeah. uh yeah i think pretty much everything else was very good oh one other stray note um this the the dinwiddie westbrook transaction is a big part of why i'm a firm supporter of the moratorium because that is what allowed all of this to happen in one move is that because everything wasn't everything was negotiated but everything wasn't like a lot of things were negotiated but it wasn't set it gives teams the flexibility to kind of put the pieces together and if that hadn't happened this would have been much harder and there there are no losers there are only winners yeah and i don't know how much the hiring of wes unseld plays in into this uh, for me yes he's very respected you know obviously hiring wes unseld's son to come to the wizards you do have to wonder a little bit about like oh you know if the cats were close to did that push him over the edge but he had had other head coaching interviews before he was supposedly a finalist with the bulls last year before they decided to spend up for billy donovan instead so he doesn't really feature much yay or nay uh, no. in that yeah, grade I mean, at this what, point. What happens with first-year coaches for us is that, for who have only ever been assistants before, is that they don't factor in our grades now, but they will factor significantly in our regrades next next offseason because we'll have a better understanding of where they are as a coach. We can move on to the Toronto Raptors. They had a, a fascinating offseason that I had real trouble grading. Uh, they Kyle Lowry decided to leave for Miami, so they trade that was a sign-in trade where Toronto brought back Goran Dragic and precious Achua and ended up being that they're keeping Goran Dragic there was a time that it seemed like he might be going somewhere else potentially Dallas to play with fellow Slovenian Luka Doncic the Raptors also retained Masai Ujiri which I didn't really include in my rankings because I don't I, I don't really know how to consider a GM retention especially when yeah. you know we do think of these as organizational yeah but and it, normally it little... normally someone like him would have just extended at some random time right last year and so it wouldn't be part of an offseason and, and we don't know what the raptors did like we don't know terms of the contract we know some of like the the change yeah. of his terminology the, the so. rumor is he's now getting paid 15 million a year sure and he's worth all of that he's the i think he's the best front office executive in the nba um the raptors also drafted uh they they had the fourth pick they drafted scotty barnes they drafted delano banton 46 that he got a fully guaranteed i i uh he got a i don't he i think he's fully guaranteed for the coming year and then after that it's less guaranteed david johnson they also drafted 47th they retained gary trent jr who they acquired for norm powell and they picked up chris boucher's non-guarantee they signed isaac bonga and ishmael wainwright and not partially guaranteed for sam decker then they also lost baines bembry hood and presumably stanley johnson he hasn't signed anywhere but he's probably not going to be a rap so the the bigger part, I mean, yes, we'll talk about the Lowry trade and Goron and everything else like that. What made I talked about how the Raptors were hard for me to grade, and the reason why is because I'm having trouble figuring out how these pieces fit into the eventual whole. Because one of the things that Masai Ujiri distinctly did not do was really tear down. He didn't trade Dragic or Van Vliet or Pascal Siakam or anything else. So at this point, and maybe these are some of the dominoes that are waiting for Damian Lillard and Beal and some of these other guys to make their decisions Brent Ben's what happens with Ben Simmons but right now I think we kind of have to evaluate things as they sit and I'm not I'm not thrilled with this direction even if it's just temporary for the franchise yeah and you say that because it was difficult to figure out a direction we thought it would be difficult to figure out what their direction would be before this and 
you know, it seems like they're going to go into next year and like, all right, they lost Lowry. They got some reinforcements. Dragic is in now for him. I guess he's going to come off the bench. They retained Gary Trent as well. You know, some of the guys they picked up on the margins could be good. I think, you know, getting a guy who in a Chua who I think can be a starting center, if maybe a little bit undersized one uh, in the Lowry sign and trade. I mean, most guys just leave. So that's like a real player that they got from Miami. So that's, that's pretty good. And to be able to get Achua for facilitating that, despite the fact that Lowry could have gone other places, you know, normally that kind of seems like it's more a second round pick and they had to take on money as well in Dragic. You know, maybe now, maybe that was a big part of it too, was that they're taking on Dragic who's a, a little overpaid. But yeah, I mean, there is a big part of it to your point that seems like it's an incomplete because we'll see whether Siakam and Van Vliet and these guys are still around. And obviously the bigger thing is Scotty Barnes. So uh, taking the guy at four that I was not as high on, you know, there's some good and some bad from him in summer league, which we'll talk about more at a later time but I didn't care for that pick I thought that either Suggs or Jonathan Kuminga would have been superior to him so and I think you feel the same way on that I think they you know the Trent it seems like they kind of lost both on the money and on the years slash control with the two plus one uh now and Trent you might say yeah you know he's as younger than guys like Powell and Tim Hardaway and Fournier who got paid basically the same as him however I don't think he's as good as those guys right now and he also just because of his limited athleticism doesn't seem like someone who has like a ton of upside as a an offensive player or you know a real defensive difference maker as well so like the odds of him outperforming that contract to me are not particularly high and they just didn't really use the restricted free agent process to hold his value down by a couple of million or so either so that one that i'm surprised that trent did that well on that contract even if i understand why it ended up where it did so i think i'll go with a d plus for these guys yeah i went with this i went with a c minus kind of similar grounds i'm not the biggest scotty barnes fan of 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 his film i've heard he's a great guy and all that but i uh, somebody who is such a limited shooter who also can't really play the five like it's just harder to fit that in he's not gonna i don't think he's going to have the ball in his hands enough to make the passing acumen worth it he's i i mean i i still really like his defensive tools and i think that there are plenty of ways that he can succeed like i'm not not saying like he's trash or anything so like that but i don't think he was the i don't think he was the right pick as i see it right now to to be clear i think he can be a a very good player yes uh it's just that i i would have liked because of the offensive limitations that i foresee as likely if not fate accomplished and hey you know they've done pretty well with multiple clay in the past so we'll see on that uh and they may they may have that confidence as an organization uh but yeah i I don't see as much upside with him due to the limited shooting and scoring ability um anything else you had on them um, so I give them I give them a C minus. The other thing I'll mention is that I thought they did the Raptors did very well in the Lowry signing trade to get Achua. I talented you know talented guy. I and and I think that the, you talk about multiple clay whether the Raptors can make him into a viable starting center. I mean I think if if they can get somebody like that on a rookie scale contract, so you get pretty cheap for the next couple of years and then and then restricted rights. I think that's be, that's better than we've seen in a lot of these you know lower leverage sign and trades. This isn't some of the other like big deals that have happened in the, so I, I think that they 
they did well here. And Dragic, I mean, we'll see where things go from there. Um, we can move to their one of their rivals in the Atlantic division, the 76ers. The Sixers have not done the biggest thing that they might do in the offseason, which is, you know, trading Ben Simmons. So that I, I'm not personally going to factor them not trading him because we don't know what deals are and are not out there. It will definitely be something that factors in more heavily in future ones. Like, for example, uh, when we did our regrades, I talked about how my Orlando grade changed because we saw what they got for Vucevic later in the season. But so instead, without that, it was a comparatively quiet offseason for Philly. The biggest thing they did was Joel Embiid's extension. We will talk about that, of course. But in terms of additions, departures, and draft picks, they added Andre Drummond and George Niang with part of their MLE. They drafted Jaden Springer of Tennessee, 28th. Petrusev, 50th. I believe he's going back to Europe. And then Charles Bassey, 53rd. They retained Danny Green, 10 million a year for two years, second year non-guaranteed. They retained Furkan Korkmaz. And then they lost George Hill, Dwight Howard, and presumably Mike Scott. We don't know the exact terms there. And just as we're kind of going through all that, the Sixers bought the 53rd pick that they used on Charles Bassey. So that I always support it when a team buys a pick because they didn't really give up anything to make it happen. Yeah, before we get into the grades, should we discuss uh, the Embiid extension further? Yeah, I think we should. So um, I think this is completely logical from especially Embiid's perspective because this extension, he qualified as a designated veteran so he can get the 35% max. And this extension doesn't kick in. Like he won't get any new money on this until the 23-24 season. Embiid is already under contract for the two seasons before that. And so that means sort of like I believe Damian Lillard was in this mold and a few other guys. Steph Curry, actually, incidentally, could have been this, too, if memory serves. Um, the idea that if they waited, oh, this was maybe Steph Curry a little while ago. Basically, the idea is that if, if Embiid had waited another year and, importantly, qualified, he could have gotten a, a longer contract, could have gotten an extra year of a commitment. But for Embiid, that securing it a year early, especially with his injury history and getting a player option on the final year for all the way in 2026, 27 is I think that's an incredibly smart move for Embiid and for the Sixers locking up your star player the permanent MVP in my eyes last year totally reasonable as well I like it better for Embiid than I do for the Sixers but I totally get it for both so I believe this is now the third of these Supermaxes that have been signed two years before the player's contract was due to end. One was Damian Lillard, who that one is looking still pretty good. You know, he was Lillard is a little bit older than some of these guys who signed these, because remember, he, he came out much later in that 2012 draft, but he's aged pretty well with his shooting ability and you know, is still a, a top 10 type of player in the league. We'll see uh, how the rest of this contract ages and then obviously the other one who perhaps is a better analog although John Wall had not been particularly injury prone until he signed his and that one obviously was a disaster within six months of it having been signed and then was really a disaster because by the time it kicked in he, he was dealing with torn Achilles and, and a bunch of other stuff as well but Embiid is playing at a higher level than either of those guys you, you mentioned he was the permanent MVP uh, on many occasions and now he is injury prone he didn't have to have the surgery as it turns out due to that meniscus tear i guess he just did rehab on that so clearly though this is something whereas the sixers if you have a chance to lock them up you just do it particularly in yep. this climate particularly with the uncertainty around ben simmons particularly because they really would like damian lillard to come play for their basketball team 
and to trade Ben Simmons for him and getting Joel Embiid under contract for a long time taking care of Joel Embiid all of that is helpful and obviously from Embiid's standpoint there's the injury risk but also the potential that had he gotten injured he then would not have qualified for the Supermax next year if he didn't make All-NBA again so all of those I think this is one that was always going to happen and Embiid yes he is injury prone but he is so good that it's worth it right whereas John Wall okay we got to wrap this guy up two years from now when he's like barely making all nba you know that's a little bit more questionable right even the lillard one to me was slightly questionable but again we've seen so many players control their own fates and if a, a guy even has a hint of wanting out or getting to the end of his contract now without signing an extension it's just a five alarm fire you know it's, it's not the same i think we became a nerd to this idea of really good players becoming free agents as you and i were kind of coming up in this business because the extension rules it didn't make sense for these guys to extend and so and i think also for the sixers you offer this because if he didn't sign it then you got a problem right and you need to know that right in advance uh, as well you do. And so that, that that's a really good point that you get you get an important piece of information on whether he's willing to sign it or not. Uh, the rest of the Sixers offseason, I'm pretty I, I'm pretty ambivalent. I mean, they by paying Danny Green the money they did. I mean, also potentially Daryl Morey not wanting to hard cap them for, for anything else. Danny Green getting 10 million each of the next two years, but it's non-guaranteed for the second one, which also means they can trade him without his consent. Um, that made it impractical, if not impossible, for them to use the non-taxpayer mid-level, the larger one, which would have hard capped them, or do a sign-in trade where they're acquiring a player by a sign trade where they're not sending out a significant amount of salary. Lowry, it seems like he chose the heat over the Sixers anyway. And so the part for me that is a frustration, if, if that's the path they're going to go, I think Danny Green's going to help them I more than basically anybody they could have gotten for the non-taxpayer mid-level is a very weak crop for that this year was if that's where you're going to go it's disappointing that they weren't able to bring back that they chose not to bring back George Hill I mean they're still paying him a small amount of money and maybe it's ownership didn't want that kind of a tax bill but Philly was you know they were they weren't the best team necessarily from a talent perspective but they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference Joel Embiid's window is now and we don't know how long it's going to last and they didn't it's not like they lost George Hill and replaced him with someone they just basically lost him and sign Drummond for the minimum, sign George Niang, who they could have gotten anyway. So that's not like, oh, they lost George Hill, they're getting a D or anything like that. But I didn't love it. I don't think it's there. So then that puts more heat or puts more pressure on Tyrese Maxey coming up, which I think he very well could. I mean, he had a great summer league. We'll talk about that later. But so I gave them a C- minus just because I understand the Embiid extension and mostly this is a holding pattern. But I didn't the, the everything else, like I didn't really love it. Yeah, Hill, if he had contributed more in the playoffs, and maybe he could have been given a chance to contribute more in the playoffs, but if he had contributed more in the playoffs, then I'd be more concerned about sure. not bringing him back. I mean, it's tough to go to your owner and say, pay $25 million in cash and, and salary for George Hill. You know, they're $7 million into the tax right now. Uh, the Niang signing, I think, was about as they, as good as they could have done on the players who were available. We talked many times about some of the West teams that they're really just for either the full mid-level, which again would have hard capped them, and they were not interested in, in doing that uh, due to some of the trade issues, and, and it just would have made life a little bit. I mean, they are over, particularly because they're going to retain Danny Green, so... I don't think there was anyone out there for the mid-level, particularly given the fact that they only had to get one guaranteed year for Danny Green. Yes. I don't think that there was anyone out there 
that would have been a better combination of player and contract than Danny Green and so George Yang at least fills the need for a backup stretch four as well maybe if they move on from Simmons he could be a decent fit with Embiid and you know supposedly a good locker room guy for a team that's uh, seemed a little tense lately Korkmaz given what the prices have been for shooters and that's not terrible value for it, it seems like kind of about right for a guy you know for a guy who's been in their rotation the last couple of years expecting to get him for less than five million is probably not realistic and it's at least a longer contract for a guy who's a little bit longer so um i, I think i'll and drummond i mean he's overqualified perhaps as a backup center but he's someone who can come in when Embiid isn't gonna play I still wish they had some kind of a stretch five on this team to play with Ben Simmons so they could stagger him and Embiid again a, a little bit that just doesn't appear to be in the cards Springer at 28 it seems like a fine pick there so I, I'll I feel a little bit better about it they did get Embiid back I, I'll go with the C plus I, I suppose actually no let's call it, let's call it a straight c yeah not not too much yeah i mean i was c minus so pretty close there we can go to the magic the magic didn't have well ben i i guess the, one other thing you can say too they didn't trade ben simmons sure. which we don't know what it's going to end up being but they at least avoided making a bad trade for him now we shall see whether his value goes down even further and he becomes viewed as a bad contractor on the league and they missed their chance to trade him though that could uh, be the case too my instinct is that it will be worse for them but i've been wrong on this a couple of times recently most notably with vooch so we'll 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 see where things turn out and i mean there still is hey the guy is like you know he's made all all ba he's a two-time all-star three-time all-star uh and you know i never felt that he deserved those accolades to begin with and now his star is dimmed even further so we'll see but i I, it does seem like he's probably gonna have a constituency and if he has a constituency now and yeah maybe he doesn't play great at the start of the year or something like teams it seems like some team will still talk themselves into it so i i i'm not that worried about him just totally i mean unless he just shoots 35 percent from the line or something this year because it's just so in his head uh let's move on to the orlando magic yeah, so the Magic, they didn't make as many moves, but many of them were are extremely important for the future of the franchise. They replaced Steve Clifford with Jamal Mosley along the lines of what we talked about before, where he's a first-time NBA head coach, so we'll have to see. That will be an important part of their grade in when we regrade it. Um, then they only added Robin Lopez for $5 million. They re- They technically retained Mo Wagner because he finished the year on their roster. And then they lost out of Porter and Dwayne Bacon. So that puts, since we can't really talk about Mosley that much right now, that puts all the weight on their two lottery picks. Jalen Suggs at number five and Franz Wagner at number eight. Yeah, quickly on Mosley, though, I, I do think that it just, you know, it, it augurs that they are taking this direction yes. now uh, of rebuilding. And I do appreciate that aspect. It's not like they had a ton of flexibility, but I do like the fact that they are rebuilding. They're basically one of like four teams that are overtly going in that direction this year. And Mosley, his reputation as, a, as being really good in player development and Steve Clifford as a basically said publicly and josh robbins uh, uh, your colleague at the athletic certainly said it too that clifford was not on board for another year losing he probably actually helped them win too many games last year Uh, they were surprisingly competitive uh, in the second half of the year given the rather sparse roster that they had so Suggs at five you know i still had kaminga higher on my board probably would have had those guys in the same tier kuminga is evocative of so many of the other players that they've had in there at various times and they desperately just needed someone who could be a primary creator now Suggs may not be ready to do that yet um 
But, you know, if Jalen Suggs becomes a Malcolm Brogdon or Fred Van Vliet, or maybe even has the upside of like a Cal Lowry, I mean, at, at number five, that's a pretty damn good pick, right? So I, I think, you know, I'm not as high on Suggs as some just because you know i don't see him as a future super duper star necessarily as the guy on an offense but certainly at five a a totally good pick there franz wagner though i'm a little bit less high on what do you think of him i'm probably a lot less high than i think because with wagner it's what does he do at a level that like let's say forces your opponent to respond so i think he can be a capable help defender i think that he he's a good communicator like some of the defensive film at michigan was good he can move the ball um but I don't think he's dynamic enough with the ball in his hands to really create reactions. And he's not a good enough shooter that he's going to continue to occupy that defender's attention. And so I think it's harder for Wagner to make that sort of an impact and to draft to draft him at number eight. It could work out. I don't expect it to um, based on what I've seen. So I, I, I just I didn't love the film on him. I didn't love didn't love him in summer league. We'll talk much more about that later. And I'm a little higher on Suggs than you. I had him um, in the same tier with Evan mobley and not in the same tier with kaminga i think that there are a lot of ways that Suggs can contribute to winning basketball like i think his floor is a lot higher and i I value that and i thought he delivered really well on that in summer league however that didn't impact my grade as much just because i thought that Suggs was the fourth best player in in the draft and they got him at five it's more we we talked about this in the regrades with the i'm not saying it's nearly as extreme with the hornets with Lamelo ball where it's like you took the guy who you were fortunate fell to you like that's not as big of a boost as identifying somebody and making it like you know taking them and then it, it being it really working out um so i think this grade will change dramatically based on what happens from this point like this is really with the magic more than almost any other team it's preliminary because we need to see how mostly works as their coach we need to see how Suggs and wagner work out and they basically did nothing else so all of those are kind of tbds in a sense so i give them a d just because i thought that the more the more pressure-packed decision was Wagner and preliminarily I think that was the incorrect one who would Um, you have taken who would you have taken over Wagner so on the guys that I watched film Moses Moody was my favorite um, but I liked some of what we saw from Davion Mitchell in summer league I didn't get to see enough of like you know I mean Duarte is interesting um but I I mean my I'm not sure Wagner's going to even be a starter. Like I'm, I would say that's po- it's possible, but I would say that it's very, very possible to me that he's just a reserve forward. Yeah, I'm not as low on the Wagner pick. To, I don't think he has much star potential, uh, and but I do think he'll look better in a non-summer league. Oh, for sure, setting. playing with smarter teammates is going to help him a ton. Yeah, or more it, talented it, teammates, let's say. You know, and, and you know, maybe the hope is that he can kind of turn into a Nikola Batum type of connector player as a passer his shooting it's a long way to go though and he doesn't have the same bounce that Batum does but that's kind of the thought there you know I can't say I was advocating for any of the guys below him that much I mean Sangoon would have been the guy probably that I would have wanted and he had a very nice summer league again you know we'll see what he looks like in NBA competition just because I think this magic team should have been going more for the upside play and that was Sangoon was really the only guy left at that point that I would say it has some upside book night maybe has some upside as well as a score but also once they took Suggs I, I think that it didn't make sense to also take book night 
as well. And obviously, I like Suggs oh, better than One more thing I wanted to mention with, with Jalen Suggs. Uh, part of why I think the Magic, and again, this is my grade for just how they did as an offseason, not like where it not where it goes for their franchise. I think that um, that that it's what's so good for Orlando is that Suggs can fit in a lot of different ways. So if Marco Fultz doesn't, if he's not that guy who can create offense for himself and others, you have another option. But also, Suggs, if you can get, I don't know if there is this like difference maker, huge star, lead ball handler in the 22 draft or the 23 draft. I think Suggs can play alongside a lot of other talented guys. So I think that having him in the mix here for a team that is probably going to be bad for a little while longer is extremely beneficial. Yeah, so I think this is a positive offseason for the Magic. They picked a direction. I mean, obviously they did that at the trade deadline, but they continued to do so. Wagner, to me, it was maybe not the guy that I would have taken there, but there wasn't anyone else that I was like so high on at the time. And, and surely there'll be players below him that emerge, but it, I think he could still be solid. And so I would say it was a positive offseason. I, I get your point on, hey, they just drafted Suggs because he was there. So you're not giving him that much credit for that. They had the, because it goes, like we say, right? It, we didn't give the disclaimer at the start of it. We probably should have, uh, especially because this is going to be the public pod that this isn't business school. And so, you know, a C is average. That's kind of just, you did what you were supposed to do with the resources at hand. But the resources at hand include who was actually available at your pick to take not simply just th- that you had the number five pick. So yeah, I don't give him as much credit for Suggs. Um, you know, but I think Wagner was a fine pick there and they did pick a direction. They didn't make any dumb things. Although the Lopez thing was kind of weird, but I think, you know, maybe they trade him for something. Who oh, knows? Uh, the other the other big thing that will affect the Magic's grade down the line in their offseason is what happens in extension talks with Mobamba and Wendell Carter, the both extension eligible. And that might end up, I think it probably ends up being that you don't extend them. And I think that could end up being the right choice. But we'll, uh, we'll, that will be a factor later on that we're just too early. I mean, they a they haven't signed to b we don't know what they you know what they could have what they'll get as uh restricted for agents absent an agreement so we'll we'll get there we're just not there now so so i i went for a b minus okay that. that's so, one of so our you, one of our larger differences yeah uh, although i don't i, I get no, it i, I don't think we disagree in kind it's more just like how we interpret what they like well in substance we don't yeah. disagree so let's jump to the new york knicks uh the knicks uh, an offseason that changed my feelings on it changed dramatically over the course of time. They added Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. They extended Julius Randle. They retained Nerlens Noel, Derek Rose, Alec Burks, and Taj Gibson. They um, also drafted Quentin Grimes, 25th, uh, Ro- Rokos Jakubaitis, Jacob- 34th, Miles McBride, 36th, Jericho Sims, 58th. He's on a two way. Um, they lost Bullock, Payton, and yet again, this isn't the most important place, but I just want to mention it because I might forget it later. The Knicks doing draft arbitrage again is really amazing. Like, so they traded th- they traded 32 for 34 and 36, and unless they really liked Jason Preston or Robinson Earl, like I think they they probably got the guys. They got two talented players that they probably wanted, and um, so that was a really nice piece of work. But for me. Uh, Seth Partno brought said I think he said at one point that Kemba Walker was the rug that really ties the room together. And I honestly feel that way with their offseason where I was I didn't want the Knicks to run it back. I thought that they while they had an exceedingly successful year, that running it back would just kind of tie them in with where they were. And the combination of Kemba and basically the every every one of their significant re-signings and signing with Fournier getting a team option on the last year just means that they're a lot more flexible. And I think they're meaningfully better than they were before. Yeah, and, and that Randall 
extension was the icing on the cake i really liked what i saw from quentin grimes and miles mcbride in summer league both those guys got up a ton of threes and made a ton of them uh, as well which is something that this team needed with some more shooting so that was pretty good i mean i don't have much to add uh, frankly i mean this is an offseason we talked about as one of the better ones and yes they may just take a step back just because they were a little over their heads last year and maybe the defense got a little lucky with three-point shooting at times and then i just expect the overall rest of the east to be better they got very lucky with health especially considering the minutes that rj barrett and randall were playing so yeah, I think this is a very solid offseason for the New York Knicks. And yeah, they ate up their flexibility for next year, but there isn't really anyone too sexy for next year. So they'll have it again in 23 as well. And they're, they're still relatively well positioned to make trades. Yeah, I was torn between an A- minus and an A. I ended up going with an A- minus just because... I, it will be hard for them to kind of, kind of change course in the next year or so, but then at that point they can. But this, I mean, especially if their draft picks work out, this could end up being a, a straight A. I was very torn between the two. Yeah, now this still could have the potential to look worse a year from now as it sure. could look better uh, because Julius Randle might regress and then all of a sudden that extension wouldn't look uh, as amazing. And Rose and Burks and... Kemba uh, you know there are a lot of the and 48 a lot of these guys may just not play that well you know that's just kind of what happens when you sign uh, free agents uh, or older guys they can fall off a little bit a lot of those guys that were kind of if not having career years were having recent career years so this could definitely change but yeah I mean they they're one of the deeper if not the deepest team in the NBA now so pretty pretty solid offseason for them I went for an A minus yeah could go to the Bucks the Bucks um, I'll just go through the moves and then I'll say my big picture thing. So we've already talked about it before. But so the Bucks added George Hill, Grayson Allen by a trade. That was Allen for Sam Merrill. Uh, a 2024, most likely, mo- the most likely picks that they receive, in my opinion, are Indies seconds in 24 and 26. It could be some other teams, but that's a reasonable proxy. They added Hill, Allen, and Rodney Hood. They drafted two gentlemen in the late part of the draft whose names are long and hard to pronounce, so I will save that for when we actually talk about them as players. Um, They retained Bobby Portis and Thanasis Antetokounmpo, and then they lost... PJ Tucker, Bryn Forbes, the aforementioned Sam Merrill, and they lost. And and so I, I think that early on, especially because one of the first things that happened in regards to the Bucks was that they lost that PJ Tucker signed with the Heat, and we had the basically his own not reporting his own statements that things turned significantly. I was very frustrated because for me it's like you know an ownership is the biggest competitive advantage in the league. Looks like the Bucks are cheaping out again and all that. That's not what happened here. The Bucks are still spending a ton of money. They're still well over the they're they're roughly 20 million over the tax, so that's about 200 million in player cost when you consider salaries and the tax bill. That is a totally reasonable level for the defending champions. And so instead, my frustration with the Bucks is tempered significantly. I think they they I'm much much happier with that. Instead, it becomes a question of okay, you're spending, you're going 20 million to the tax. Did you do it for the right people? Yeah, and I thought that the opportunity cost of some of these other signings, like I certainly would have prioritized P.J. Tucker over Bobby Portis. It does not appear that they did that. I would have rather had P.J. Tucker plus a, a minimum point guard or backup shooting guard rather than George Hill and Bobby Portis. Yes, there is the age concern for P.J. Tucker. I get that. Maybe they didn't want to go the second year for him. 
but they could have paid him whatever they wanted to legally uh, because they had full board rights on him and you know perhaps he wanted 10 million for them and was willing to take 7 million for Miami after talks broke down you know who knows what it was but to me so much of the theory of their team as we talked about ad nauseum was getting Tucker the ability to switch but also that Tucker could play in a conventional system as well just gave them some toughness yes his offensive limitations were a concern yes I expected those to continue to evolve and and maybe there's some teams that it wouldn't have made as much sense for him to play as much against going forward or maybe he could have fallen off a cliff age related but he's still for all of his issues is just a unique type of player defensively with his ability to guard pretty much all five positions in a pinch and his toughness so i think he he's the kind of player that they're really going to miss and you know they brought in semi ojale to maybe try and make him into the new pj tucker but he doesn't have that level of intensity you know probably about the same as a shooter as tucker but you know i mean the it hasn't really developed at all in Boston over the last four years. The Grayson well, Allen trade? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, so I want to talk about PJ for a second because the, the biggest issue for me there is the idea of suitable replacements. It's that the you can you could say, even if you wanted to, that George Hill and Bobby Portis combined are a better overall basketball impact than P.J. Tucker. But the problem is, you just won a championship, and part of it was this awesome lineup with Giannis at center. And it's true that the Bucks weren't challenged in the same way, but I think that lineup is even more dangerous against some of the opponents that they either didn't face full strength, like the Nets, or didn't face at all, like the Clippers and Lakers. And well, Lakers could be a little different because they have so much size. But to basically not have have a viable way to do that and remember the bucks really only had a viable way to do that for small parts of the last two seasons because they didn't start the season with marvin williams and they didn't start the season with pj tucker so they're the players who can unlock all of these things are extremely hard to come by they can't bet that somebody's going to come through the trade deadline market or the buyout market like that somebody's going to pop and choose them which is far from a guarantee so I think they didn't appreciate sufficiently what Tucker brings. And so instead, they like one of the I, I'm fascinated by the roll of the dice with Grayson Allen. I mean, he and Dante DiVincenzo were the same draft class. They're both extension eligible. We'll see what happens with both of those gentlemen. It could be a hedge on that. And DiVincenzo, like missing him was important for the Bucks. But if I'm going to say which of those things, like which of those is going to haunt them more, like the lack of availability of DiVincenzo, and so you replace him with Grayson Allen or PJ Tucker, I have a pretty clear answer and there are other reasons to get Grayson Allen but I don't and, and I'm not the asset cost was extremely low like it's a totally reasonable thing but I mean they gave up to I'm uh, sorry and I should clarify this the Bucks gave up two seconds in the Grayson Allen deal not that they acquired them sorry yeah so that's a, I think a reasonable one he, he could contribute they need some more shooting as well they needed a replacement for Bryn Forbes uh, who left uh, now you know are they going to pay both Allen and DiVincenzo it seems unlikely but you know it gives you another out for a younger guy Allen was pretty old when he was drafted too so he's moving into the prime of his career he contributed for the Grizzlies and, so. you, and you have match rights if you and it's not like the qualifying offer is going to be heinous for Grayson Allen and also it's a hedge if DiVincenzo gets a ludicrous offer and restricted free agency for whatever reason we don't think that's going to happen but it could yeah, so I thought that most everything else that they did after losing Tucker, I, I thought was pretty solid. We'll see if George Hill has the magic where basically since 2017, he's only been able to play well when he plays for the Milwaukee Bucks. But, and Portis, you know, I think he, the, 
I, I guess that's one where yeah they got him back for a decent price but also perhaps we might see the like full early bird contract coming for him next year so we'll see whether and they gave him the player option right for yes. next year as well yeah mark Bartlestein, man keeps on winning the player option for thanasis seemed, oh my uh, god a little much but you know okay that's that's what you do to keep your star happy so I think I'll ultimately, you know, I, I, we feel better about this as time's gone on. Hood is a decent flyer for the minimum, uh, although so he obviously... For the minimum. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he is maybe someone who can help them play that switching style. So uh, I'm torn between a a D plus and a C minus. I think I'll go C minus. That is what I gave them as well. The Miami Heat, the team the Bucks dispatched in the first round of the playoffs, um, they were on the other side, the Kyle Lowry getting side of that deal. They sent away Dragic and Achua for Lowry. They also signed the just mentioned PJ Tucker along with Markeith Morris and Dwayne Dedman. They also gave Jimmy Butler a huge extension, retained Duncan Robinson and Oladipo and Struess and Gabe Vincent and Yurtsevin. Um So Miami, this is where I wanted to start. I, I, because I, I do with these little write-ups for all of these. Um, I said, this is a whole lot of sound and fury, but what does it signify? It doesn't signify nothing. I'm not saying it's that whole thing, but it's, I I have trouble with, like, so this is a big commitment from Pat Riley, Mickey Arison, and the whole organization, not only because of the Lowry acquisition, but because they gave Jimmy Butler an absolutely massive amount of money, you know, a... So how do you, you know, three years, three, I'm sorry, I'll just say the terms, three years, 146 million player option on the final year for Butler, who is well into his 30s already. And so- Wait, hold on, hold on. Is that right? Three years? I thought they gave him a four-year extension. Let me look. I, I thought, I think he opted into the second year. So he opted in for 22-23. That's how I have it. Yeah, but then he's four years on top of that. It is three years on top of that. The contract runs through 25-26. No, that's four years. No, because the, technically it's he added three years because he opted in for 22-23. So it's three new years. Why would he do that, though? He could get the 10-plus year max instead, right? I, I'm not saying I'm not saying why. I'm saying what happened. Okay, we know that for sure. That's signed. Yes, it's done. I have that. I have that from a very good source okay uh all right my apologies then we'll have to update the spreadsheet uh never go on vacation i guess so uh i think there also might have been some loosey-goosiness with the way it was reported originally which happens yeah oh it happens so what's he making in the last year of that deal in 25 20 i mean it, ultimately it, it still is you know he, he could have opted out so you're essentially yeah. it's for it's four new years even if he, it is even if he yeah opted, sure but. Uh, it, 52.4 as a player option. Oh, okay. So that's even, yeah. So that's even higher than I thought it was. Yeah. What is he for next year? For 22-23, I have it at 37.6. I believe what they did is they did the 20% raise. That's how they kind of are the, the up to his individual maximum. All right. We'll sort this out later. Whatever. Yes. It's a shit. It's a shitload of money. Yes, it is. Regardless, that pays him over $50 million when he's 36 in 25-26. So... Yeah, I mean, that to me, you know, I, I, I mean, they had to do it, quote unquote, because he could have just opted out and left after this year, or they would have been on the hook to for for five years. Uh, although I think he might have run into over, no, he probably wouldn't have run into over 38 at that point. But in any event, I mean, man, that is just a hell of equipment. So I, I gave them a B minus because they did get better for this year. You know, if they are not, I think especially during the regular season, people might be overstating how much better they are than the 
other teams in the east that aren't milwaukee and brooklyn your boston's your new york's your atlanta's etc indiana even potentially and i think the east is just going to be a hard conference this year i think the overall league is just going to be a hard league early on with just so few doormats out there to beat but yeah i mean there as far as championship equity i would place them third in the east right now they had to give up another good player in achua to get lowry you know I, I think it probably made sense to do it the way they did by uh staying over the cap having Draga chopped in giving up a chua but then they also got tucker this could be one of the best defenses in basketball for sure and with a lot of scheme versatility to boot so time will tell whether what they can do these next couple of years you know if they I, i've said this before they've a hard fought second round exit which is probably what i would project for them this year is that worth all this money you're gonna be paying to jimmy butler and to kyle lowry you know 23 24 they basically are right at the cap with butler lowry and Adebayo. and butler and lowry how effective are they gonna be uh, all a big question there and so well, they did get better for now yeah well here here's the other part like that tough second round exit that doesn't necessarily mean it's the the best result you can expect moving forward but right. it is reasonable to believe that the best iteration of these lowry butler heat will be this coming year because right. lowry's already 35 butler's 31 and bam will improve tyler hero will improve and robinson's pretty old too i mean he came and took a circuitous route into the league so the passage of time is it could help the heat, but I don't expect it to, which makes it that that's why I'm lower. So I give them a C minus is that I more power to any team that sees where Miami is and says we want to do that. Like organizations can value success. They can value whatever the hell they want to. But I maybe it was just that I was higher on a like a BAM centric kind of moving in that direction that I'm looking at like 24, 25, 23, 24 being like, Ugh, like they're just it feels like they're going to be floating now. Maybe they can convert Lowry into something else, use that salary slot. But the problem for that with Miami is that they are notoriously asset poor because they use all these other assets to build the best team they can at the moment. And so they're not out a ton now. But remember, like they gave up all that stuff in the Goran Dragic deal. They've already traded basically all of their seconds and they already owe their they already owe a lottery protected first to the Thunder. So it's going to be harder for them than most teams to convert these salary slots into other players we'll see yeah so what was your grade c minus c minus wow i went for a b minus uh, yep. but again I, I think you and i don't really disagree on the import of these moves too much individually it's just what are they going to be this year and how bad is it going to be in the future and this this could easily turn into an f off season if we look back on it in three years from now yeah and it could also move into like if, if they're firmly in the in the eastern conference like finals mix for me i could move it to an a minus or, or a b plus like that that you can sacrifice the future for the present and have it work out i mean we've seen that many times let's go to the pacers another franchise that made extremely few moves so that means there's more weight on the ones they they did make they they changed coaches. They fired Nate Bjorkren and brought in Rick Carlisle, the best available coach on the market, at least in terms of established NBA coaches. They drafted Chris Duarte, 13th, and Isaiah Jackson, 22nd. They retained TJ McConnell, and then they lost Doug McDermott because they kind of couldn't do both of those and, and stay under the tax. And they traded Aaron Holiday in 31 for 22, which was the pick that became Isaiah Jackson. I thought they that this is a lot of really good work by the Pacers. Yeah, Duarte at 13. 
obviously drafting a 24 year old is he the oldest player drafted well i guess it's been i, I think he's didn't, the oldest, uh, i think he's the oldest lottery pick drafted at least in yeah vintage yeah i mean bernard james got drafted at like 27 or something right like that. but uh but certainly duarte he struggled from two in summer league but shot it really well from three and it just profiles as a guy i think can step in for mcdermott and not paying McDermott I think was totally defensible I thought that was a quite profligate contract that the Spurs gave him the Spurs are in a much different financial situation than the Pacers Jackson at 22 I thought he looked really good modern player uh liked a lot about what I saw from him we'll talk more about him later on Holiday yeah I think they could have gotten more out of him in his tenure but he had one more year before he had to get paid and was unhappy there uh they traded number 31 as well but I think that was a, a good deal for Jackson we'll see how he turns out the McConnell deal I didn't care for. I think he's one of the more overrated players because he just can't play in the playoffs. This is a team that actually is going to try to be in the playoffs and actually be competitive and in the playoffs. they paid him a yeah. lot of years. I mean, three fully guaranteed years and then yeah. a heavy partial guarantee for the fourth. Like, that's that's a lot of TJ McConnell. Yeah, and he's 29 right now. Yeah. So that's, that's uh, for a guy, again, who doesn't really have any kind of an outside shot and is reliant on his energy. And it's just, to me... They'll probably try and do it, but it's just it's hard to play him with the starters because of his offensive limitations and his ball dominance. Uh, and but obviously yeah good the other big to be determined here is what happens with tj warren like whether he gets an extension or something else and that's one where we i didn't factor it in with my grade at all but it will be a factor when we regrade in a year yeah and then getting rick Carlisle obviously is a home run uh, oh, for yeah. nate bjorkren who uh, obviously uh, had to go after one year and it was a shame for bjorkren that he didn't get a chance to play with his whole group but nonetheless uh, he was would have to be kind of further down the list as far as the the best coaches and rick carl is a guy as as a top five head coach and he almost single-handedly won that series uh, for the mavs along with luka Doncic. so maybe not single-handedly but as far as just some of the crazy moves that he made that really worked well so i, I ended up going with a b plus for the pacers I went with an A minus. I thought that they they didn't really do anything wrong. I'm just not. To, I, I just need to see more of kind of the draft picks and 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 with and I didn't love the TJ McConnell thing. And for me to give an A, like I think you have to do a really nice job with what what you have on the table. And they're very close to that. I might end up regrading this to an A, but. A minus. I, th- I thought they did extremely well. Yeah, let, the, let's get to the Pistons here. And yeah. Kate Cunningham at number one. It, there's a little bit of a decision there between him and, and Jalen Green. I don't know that Summer League really changed my opinion. Jalen Green did a better Summer League than Cade, but uh, you know, I, I, I thought they both look pretty good. And the rest of the guys were second rounders. So they don't factor into this too much. But also we can talk about the news that they retained Hamadou Diallo, two years, $10 million, which seems about right for a guy uh, that they second, affirmatively second traded for. Second-year team option, by the way. Ah, well, then it's really good. So, yeah, it, that just came out, actually. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's totally fine for Hamadou Diallo, something that they affirmatively traded for. They had bird rights on him. He had a low cap hold. There's no opportunity cost for this year. So, yeah, go ahead and pay him for that uh i had feared that it might be higher for troy weaver since he obviously was a big diallo guy but this is how you're supposed to use the restricted free agency process i credit them for doing that whereas some other teams like say toronto uh, did not do that as well and you know gary trent maybe is more important to their team than diallo is to the pistons and then they brought back a bunch of guys as well you know Corey joseph paying him five million for this year that kind of 
seemed like a lot and he's got a player option for next year but again Which for is next wild, year by the way uh that's quite wild the pistons do uh, i mean given what some other players got i, I mean the fact that Corey joseph got more money than nicola batum i just i can't get over that i, I uh, think batum chose to take less money like i think that's, certainly certainly yeah. but still it, it's still very surprising but well and yeah now yeah. To me, the biggest the biggest one, which is they so Troy Weaver used the 37th pick to offload the final fully guaranteed season for Mason Plumley, and then pretty much used that flexibility plus some of the other flexibility they had to sign Kelly Olynyk, uh, two two years, 25 million fully guaranteed, partial guaranteed for the third year. And I'm fine with Kelly Olynyk. I, I think that he is a a good fit to kind of un- unlock some of I mean the myriad ball handlers that the Pistons have at this point between Cade and Killian Hayes and they brought back Corey Joseph and Diallo sometimes in OKC had the ball and sometimes in Detroit had the ball in his hands like all these different things and um I should mention Saban Lee who they retained as well so they have a lot of like guys and so having somebody who can space the floor who can be a part of actions or not is is good for them but it also like I mean so you're gonna play him I guess some at the four next to Isaiah Stewart some at the five like it's it's not the most it's not a terrible signing especially with only two guaranteed years but it's like okay you gave up you gave up a pick to offload a bad contract you signed for somebody who wasn't who who didn't really move the needle that much for you and you signed somebody who is a slightly better fit but still not that much better yeah he will help some of these young guys with the spacing and particularly if you've got these guys like josh jackson and Saban lee and hamadou diallo even jeremy grant to some degree it'll just help these guys look better and develop a little bit to have a, a stretch four or sorry stretch five and maybe even four like Olenek. and yeah that last year being non-guaranteed is decent they had to go a little higher on him because he probably had offers at the mid-level you'd think but and they still do have even with him 44 million in cap space next year before you you count their likely extremely high draft pick so call it more like 35 million in space in the end but so that's plenty to do what they need to do and and that obviously accounts for Corey joseph opting in as well i still never know what the hell the overall plan is with these guys there's a lot of deck chair shuffling like the Plumley thing that just doesn't really seem to lead anywhere in the end i mean i like a linux for them better than Plumley, but Plumley seemed like he was fine and and so i don't know it seems like and getting cade was the biggest thing but you know i don't give them much credit there so i I guess i'll i don't see minus i gave them a c minus and again kate cunningham i thought he was the number one pick but take getting getting the lottery luck and taking the right player is it was you get a little bit more of a bonus right now but also you have more downside risk because this is a year where it's possible that the number two guy is better i I don't think so i think kate's going to be the best player in this class but like you know it's not oh you had to take anthony davis and so even if somehow ad hadn't worked out you get the full benefit there like there's a chance that they made the wrong pick i don't i don't see it that way but let's go to the cleveland cavaliers the team that fell to the third pick in the draft they took evan mobley over suggs scotty barnes and everybody else um they also traded torian prince and washington's 22 second for ricky rubio and they um retained jared allen on a five-year 100 million dollar <laughs> contract and again when a team makes very few moves that puts more pressure on the ones that they did make 
And there's also one that I considered in my, and it's part of why I gave them a lower grade, I think, than some would think, because I'm fine with the Mobley pick. I had, you know, I, I think it's totally reasonable. I gave them a D plus, And a part of it is the move that they so far haven't made, which is, I don't know what the hell they're doing with Larry Nance. And so it all kind of, fit, for me, hits together where, yeah, I, I the Rubio deal is totally, I, I mean, the Rubio deal for them, giving up a second to add a guard who makes sense in your rotation, by all means, he makes more sense with Torian Prince. And Evan Mobley is a totally fine pick. But you, on top of that, you gave Jared Allen, you negotiated against yourself. I don't know who in the world. Well, first of all, nobody else could offer a fifth year, but I have no idea who in the world was offering him anything close to 20 million. Like Rashawn Holmes, who was a better player than Allen last year. I don't expect that to be the case moving forward necessarily. Rashawn Holmes, like he took the early bird with the Kings. He did get a player option on the last year. So like why they had to go this far out, it just seems like it's another off. And I think that's part of why I moved down. I was at in the C range. Because it's like, why the hell did you do this again? Yeah, and a guy who, if you look at what centers are getting paid around the league, just doesn't seem to me to have the upside, particularly on offense. It, maybe he gets there defensively. He does have some of the physical tools with the big wingspan and pretty quick feed, some athleticism. But he, he hasn't shown that level of defensive acumen so far. I think for the guys who really get there, you see it by this point in time. And so, yeah, I mean, that seems like a very, very huge contract that it, he just says Jared Allen has not proven it at that type of a level you know the Prince for Rubio trade I mean I guess they needed someone who could pass to be their Matthew Delvadova and play backup point guard he's an okay fit with Sexton because he's a little more size he could set him up Prince wasn't going to be part of their rotation is that worth giving up the Washington second in 2022 and paying another four million yeah probably I guess so that that seems like about a fair trade so that's fine uh Mobley I don't really give him any credit there that was like the fate complete pick at that I give point him in a time little bit just because I mean I I thought I thought there was a chance they could take Suggs or Barnes I mean I wouldn't yeah. have done it but they could have well that's another reason why this huge commitment to Allen I thought was, was so ridiculous uh, that Evan Mobley is a center and I think he showed that very affirmatively in summer league or at least maybe he's not a center now because he's too thin but that that will be his best position so I went with a D in the end um and I mean I'm kind of the Allen contract to me was just so weird I'm like all right he's probably be overpaid by five million you know I'm not gonna go crazy about that but the process behind that I, I thought was poor let's move on to my I guess not my anymore Chicago Bulls well they're yours because they're back the Bulls made two I, I think it's better to start with the kind of the trades that they did they sent Thaddeus Young Al Camino, and a first allowable first probably 2025 a uh, top 10 protected for DeMar DeRozan who they gave a bunch of money to 80 85 million over three years fully guaranteed no option I should I should have saved the screen 80, for that rather than uh than yeah, for Jared Allen, for Jared but, Allen. Yeah. Uh, sorry it's it's 82 it's it's 82 million there's some um, um bonuses in there that I, I'm not counting um, they also traded Tomas Sadransky, Garrett Temple via sign and trade, and a 2024 second for they signed and traded Lonzo Ball. Ball is making 58.6 million over three years before a 21.4 million dollar player option. Then they signed Alex Crusoe for most of the mid-level. They signed and traded Daniel Tice to the Houston Rockets, generated a modest $5 million trade exception there. And they drafted um, Io Desunmu out of Illinois with the 38th overall Solch pick. 
Yeah, so I think we liked most of what they did, other than, uh, of course, uh, the DeRozan thing. And that was just a continued doubling down. Now three first-round picks that they've traded. Again, I cannot remember the last time a team in this relatively tenuous position, that even after the trades, projects to be in a relatively tenuous position. And they traded, granted, he wasn't in the last year of his deal, but they traded way more draft equity. I guess it wasn't the swaps either, but in terms of just the protections being so light and given what their team eventually is going to be, they traded way more than the Bucks traded for Drew Holiday, who I think is obviously way better than either Vooch or DeMar DeRozan, although perhaps the Bulls don't see it that way. And again, the process of the trade for DeRozan, you just, to, the idea that, they had to throw in Aminu to pay DeRozan that much. And it just like it kept compounding. It was, well, we need to pay DeRozan more. So now we have to throw in Aminu. So now we have to give up more assets so that we can pay DeRozan even more when he didn't have anything else. And perhaps they missed the market and they agreed to this in principle early on, or at least made the offer early on in free agency. And it wasn't clear at that point that DeRozan had no other options. But even if that's what happened, they completely misread the market right at the beginning, which still is terrible. And not only misreading the market, but just misreading the player that you, they just shouldn't be paying him that much. Now, they do have relatively decent flexibility going forward, but to just give up yet another pick that they can't really trade, they're, they're going to be very limited in terms of what they can do in terms of trades. Yes, they will be better. I think a lot of people think that they're going to be in competition for like the three or the four seed this year. I think they'll be. I might even pick them to finish out of the playoffs in the end. They just, there's no way they're ever going to be able to stop anybody. I think they just really misevaluated this team and particularly just that Vooch, DeRozan, Levine combination defensively. You know, maybe this team could be a top five offense somehow. And, and that's how they, they get to being like the sixth seed or something. But it just, I don't see it working out. They also, I, 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 yeah, I will ahead. note briefly, I think that they, they gave up significantly less, in my opinion, for DeRozan than the Bucks did for Drew. But I also think DeRozan is a significantly worse player that they gave a significantly worse contract. I mean, Drew ended up getting extended, but we can kind of, it seems like that was kind of part of it. DeRozan, 31, a, uh, he was a huge a, a huge positive for the Spurs last year because they desperately needed somebody like him who could occupy possessions, who could get their offense moving, especially with Derek White hurt so much. And the Bulls don't need that. The Bulls didn't, they have, they have Levine who can be the primary guy. They have, they brought in Lonzo, which is, I, I think, a, a totally reasonable contract. It's, I don't think it's like a, like a, a value or anything like that, but it's totally, it's totally fine. And getting him the player option, that's probably why the per year salary is, is what it was. And the Bulls didn't give up anything really of significant value for them in that deal. Sadoransky, you know, they basically guaranteed him for that purpose. And Garrett Temple, I'm happy he's getting paid for two years. And I like Garrett Temple, but. I mean, that's if that they didn't really have a great way to do this another way that allowed the Bulls to stay over and everything else, which I think helped them out, allowed them to get Caruso. And so but for DeRozan going back there, it's it's not only the it's the player that you're getting. So he's terrible on defense. And then offensively, he's intriguing and very positive as like a pick and roll player with the ball in his hands. If Ideally, especially if you have sufficient spacing like this could be a great offensive season for DeRozan in some ways, maybe even the best of his career in terms of like true shooting percentage. Let's put it that way like this. This might end up being his best true shooting year of his career. The current high watermark is 60% with the Spurs two years ago. Um, but your defense is going to be trouble. He doesn't, you know, like it's, what are you going to do if you want to run things through Zach Levine? And then the other huge part of this is before we, I, it's interesting. You brought up the drew holiday trade where 
part of the value of getting Drew Holiday was that it's it we think it secured the commitment of Giannis. And so you got this franchise changer. And Zach Levine is nowhere near Giannis's level of player as much as he has improved. But they're making a big roll of the dice, which maybe they were going to have to do anyway because the extension system for non-max players is still kind of broken. That now, I mean, presumably Levine, they maybe they offered him even the renegotiation extend, but now they have to roll into, if they're not going to trade him, which I don't think they will, they have to roll into the 2022 offseason with the possibility that Zach Levine just straight up leaves. Like whether it's he signs with the team with cap face or a team makes a couple of moves and then they op- open it up. And if he leaves, they're just completely screwed. Yeah, although maybe their desperation to prevent him from leaving is what led to all of this. And I still and don't that think that Zach Levine is. Yeah. Although I don't know that Zach Levine is that good that you want to just be pushing all your chips in like you're going to be a championship contender with some of these students but hey let's get to the grade now and uh, i think i'm gonna go with a d i went d plus um you know and i think they also they couldn't retain daniel tice in part due to if they retain levine next year they're gonna be like running into some tax issues probably with the derozan and ball i mean they'll have four guys basically making 20 million or, or more next year and levine will probably be at 35 so uh you know the long-term future is not that great from a financial standpoint after this year so they Tyson could have been really valuable for them you know they're going with Tony Bradley who is a good signing for what they got him for and then the marketing thing we haven't talked about that I mean I think they're playing that the right way I agree but he doesn't really want to be back there it seems like so we'll see how that plays out that'll obviously have to be amended at some point to the grade but you know having him as a backup for it could be valuable for them so yeah, D for the Bulls. That is that. That's what you had to D plus. Yeah, D plus. The Hornets weird offseason for them. They drafted James Booknight at eleven. They traded a future protected first to get Kai Jones at nineteen. They moved up by taking on Mason Plumlee to get JT Thor at thirty-seven. They also drafted Scotty Lewis at fifty-six. They traded for Mason Plumlee as I mentioned. They signed Kelly Oubre with a partially guaranteed second season. Ish Smith with a team option for the second season. And Wes Wundu they got in in the trade where they sent Devonte Graham to the Pelicans for a protected first it's one to but that's a really narrow protection they get it if the pelicans make the playoffs if it was one to 14 protected for next year and then it becomes seconds so if the pelicans miss it then it becomes seconds and they also extended james brago lost cody zeller and malik monk both of whom signed for the minimum elsewhere um they didn't pick guarantee caleb barton and brad wanamaker is out there but it doesn't look like he's going to be a hornet yeah i thought that getting Ubre on the deal that they did was good value you can never have too many wings he fits in with the up-tempo way that they want to play book night at 11 a guy who has some upside it didn't make sense to retain monk once book night was drafted guys like kai jones and thor scotty lewis uh, another guy is at 56 but you know they clearly want to get a lot of long athletes defensively versatile players as well ish smith makes sense to me because he could push the ball they can again play this up-tempo style Plumley to me doesn't fall into that as much and that that's the one move that I didn't care for so much I would have just rather they try to get a better center or even simply retaining Zeller Plumley is more reliable from a health standpoint though and they did at least you know pick up a little bit of draft equity and that's what got him JT Thor at 37 was that Plumley trade to move from 57 to 37 do you think that they should have retained Devontae Graham 
at that price? I think it's yeah. I mean, he had the low cap hold. It's not like the Hornets are particularly close. They could they could potentially have some spending problems in the later years of of his contract. So Graham got three fully guaranteed years and then a modest partial guarantee in the in the fourth year. So by that point, the later years of that, Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington will be on richer contracts. And then the last year, the partial guarantee will be the year LaMelo gets his big deal. But I think Graham is a capable backup guard. I think, you know, Ish, Ish Smith is worse, but they also it's fine. You know, the, the, the capable guy getting about the room exception is a pretty standard trope. But for me, the reason I'm very low on the Hornets offseason is that they had an opportunity, not only in terms of having space, but having a potential player to shore up one of their biggest weaknesses, not only now, but moving forward. And they didn't do it for, to me, pretty shitty reasons. Like they, you know, getting Mason Plumley, yeah, you moved up and got JT Thor. And if JT Thor ends up being a starter for you, awesome. You know, if he ends up two, three years from now. But Rashawn Holmes was out there and maybe he just, maybe they they had intel that even if they offered him 14 million a year, that he would rather go to the Kings or something like that. That's possible. I don't know if it happened. It's possible. But instead, they just have a mediocre collection of players there, some of whom might work out in time. Like I think of Kai Jones as like a four who can play some five. And I, I there was some signs that I actually really liked from him in summer league. So for me, the goal is use your use your resources and the opportunities in terms of like who is available to make to make your team the best that it can be on whatever timeline is important to you. And I thought the Hornets failed on that. I think that even maybe Book Knight, like Book Knight and Jones and Thor could all work and I'll factor their rookie years in eventually. But I'm giving them a D because they had an opportunity to get a center who could be a difference maker for them defensively. And the Hornets like, I mean, Borrego ran a lot of different schemes and everything else to do that, but also be capable offensively and instead to basically punt on that to get Miles Plumley and then what I consider a basically a one your rental on Kelly Oubre who will help them but it's basically a rental it's just not a good use of resources yeah I mean they do have about a non-guarantee for the next year they can hold on to him if they want to and and we could also mention that the Hornets signed Terry Rozier to a four-year 97 million dollar extension I think of that as it's I'm first of all I'm thrilled for Terry Rozier that's great money this is the best he could have hoped for when he when they got signed and traded to the Hornets in the Kemba Walker double sign and trade um from the Hornets perspective I think it's totally reasonable I don't think it's you know I'm not the biggest Terry Rozier fan I think it's that doesn't really factor in my grade too much but it is something we should talk yeah we should I think he it's one of those things where you feel like you have to do it because they want to retain their players this does take them out of any kind of cap space derby likely for next year yeah almost certainly particularly considering a potential extension for miles bridges probably even is going to make it difficult to do much on cap space in the 23 off season maybe that's just not how they're going to be building this team which is fine you know they don't get a, a ton in free agency you know would you have rather had kelly Oubre and mason Plumley, which is essentially what they use their cap space on or would you have rather had you know paid more for rashawn holmes but it had him under contract for i mean they would have had to go probably four years 65 million for him maybe four years 60 something like that and now you might say hey two-way centers are hard to find if you feel like you have to play with a conventional center either you just continue doing the Plumlee style stop gaps from year to year and that's a defensible strategy but when you also have a chance to get a decent two-way center which I think Holmes is I can understand he's not that established maybe you just don't want to go that amount of money for him and there wasn't really anyone else that they could have gotten that would have been worth really investing in in the center position this year this is part of why I thought the Hawks made a good move trading for Clint Capella when they did because he was a guy who 
who could actually be a two-way center and and was already under contract too yeah and was under contract so giving up a first for him and realizing that that was something that you needed to do so you know the Hornets getting a guy like Capella I think would be really important to them taking a step forward because I don't think they're going to be a team that's going to be able to really boost their defense without a very good rim protector and you know letting Graham go was that was a little weird to me I mean I don't think that first is going to come from New Orleans it's probably going to be the two seconds especially because they already had the benefit of knowing the other weird stuff that New Orleans did this offseason I think maybe they should have tried to get a second year on that pick but they couldn't right I will because say that's, if uh, the Pelicans end up with like the eight seed this looks a lot better for the Hornets because then they get yeah. that pick for not I mean but I, I would rather have Graham than two seconds no I, I agree and yeah you might say Graham's a little bit overpaid and maybe he's wanted to be a starter there but hey you got him as, as a restricted free agent maybe you could have traded him later I mean I guess that's another way to look at it is what could you trade Devonte Graham for on a four-year, forty-four million dollar contract? Could you get a first for him? Eh, tough call. Probably not. So maybe you could say they made the right move there. But he also is a good player who I think could have helped them. You know, he's way better than Ish Smith. To me, Ish Smith has a lot of limitations. It's hard to play with him with your starters because he can't shoot at all. And Graham it, could it, make a really nice three-guard rotation. I do think that having one more guy on the wing, Oubre and Miles Bridges together, that's going to be nice. You know, they didn't really have. You know, they've got Hayward, I guess, uh, as well. So, you know, more wings is nice, but man, then maybe some of those guys will be pissed off or maybe P.J. Washington's going to be minimized a little bit uh, unless he plays five. Uh, where does Booknight fit in? I mean, maybe they felt like they didn't need to keep Graham because Booknight is so good, but I, you know, the 11th pick, the Charlotte Hornets Memorial 11th pick in the draft, I'm just, uh, I'm not going to make decisions based on someone that I drafted 11 when you have the right. So, so I don't think that was a terrible move with uh, Graham, but I think I probably would have retain him at that price maybe he wasn't willing to sign that deal with charlotte knowing that he would be perpetually a backup there and he wanted to start in new orleans so that could change things i'm surprised we spent this much time on them but the more we flesh it out there really are some things to work through i think i'll ultimately go with let's call it a c minus I and mean, they made the tr- also they made that future pick they traded for kai jones and kai jones we'll see about him i don't really feel comfortable enough to and, and also that, that, fe- that future pick it's it's like top 18 or lottery protected 22 through 24 and then becomes two seconds that also really limits the hornet's flexibility moving forward unless they are good enough that they convey it early so it's like you 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 got somebody and maybe kai jones will be worth it but like you there's a lot that you can't do now because of that you could do some first allowable draft language like the bulls did but not as easy to make that sort of a move let's go to the brooklyn nets the nets signed patty mills with the tax did i say what did i say what i had for them yeah yeah c minus right and i gave them a straight d um the nets uh patty mills taxpayer mid-level one plus one they traded landry shamit for javon carter in the 29th pick which they used on dayron sharp they also got Bembry, DeAndre Bembry, and James Johnson for the minimum. They drafted Cam Johnson, 27th. They drafted Cam, Cam Thomas. Sorry, sorry, Cam Thomas. Um, then they drafted Kessler Edwards, uh, Marcus Zagorowski, and Raekwon Gray in the second round. They retained Kevin Durant on a four-year max extension. Presumably, it sounds like they'll do that with Kyrie and Harden, but we don't have that information yet. Blake Griffin signed for the minimum. They lost Spencer Dinwiddie, though that was done through a sign-in trade. They also lost Jeff Green, Mike James, and Chris Chioza. Yeah, the Dinwiddie deal, they got a $11 million trade exception and they got a couple of seconds out of that as well, which is about as good as I think they reasonably could have expected at that point in time. The Shamit for Carter and Dayron Sharp. Sharp is kind of a big, bruising rebounder. He had awesome offensive rebounding in Summer League, but 
not a guy who really seems like he's gonna fit into the way they want to play anytime soon again you get a guy who can play at 29 it's fine cam thomas again not someone who profiles as fitting in with their stars but he's a young player he, he had some very nice moments in summer league as well so those those guys i'm not really gonna up or downgrade them based on those picks at this point i mean getting the kd thing done and presumably we'll say harden and kyrie plus blake griffin getting him for the minimum was pretty good now certainly is there an argument that they should have prioritized jeff green who they couldn't pay any more than 120 percent of the minimum yeah I, I think i think prioritizing jeff green over blake griffin would be fair especially when you consider claxton and some of the other options but i think prioritizing jeff green over patty mills would have been a mistake and when you think about the money that jeff green got from the from the nuggets that's more what the decision was and i agree with mills over jeff green yeah, and Green had been vocal about wanting to not be on a minimum contract anymore. I'm not sure whether 120% raised off the minimum, you know, to give him the the Patrick Patterson, Nick Batum contract from that the Clippers gave out the last couple of years. Would that have mollified uh, him on that one? Who knows? But and perhaps they just weren't willing to pay that if if they're also getting. I mean, Patty Mills to me is a better player than Jeff Green, but Jeff Green does give them a center who can stretch the floor. Maybe they feel like Blake Griffin is that guy now. Though he didn't do a ton of that for them, but surely they'll be an option for potential buyout guys as well. And so yeah, two other things I want to mention for the Nets. One is we'll have to see how it plays out with Bruce Brown, but him signing the qualifying offer instead of agreeing to a longer term deal that might be a challenge for the Nets because either he makes more money or he. He could just leave of his own volition after next year that gives brown leverage we'll see where the terms end up versus what they could have gotten him for this year and also like I, I, they didn't do as well to me with minimum contracts as the lakers did and you could argue that's just the lakers had more to offer they the, the playing time and everything else but bembry and james johnson are lower end rotation players if they're even really that whereas the lakers like really got guys so striking out on all that kind of stuff like it's a it's a it's a, a couple of small demerits but they're demerits that could really matter in terms of the nets viability to win the title in 22 yeah another thing too is i expected that they would be able to trade deandre jordan and save some money that hasn't happened yet maybe you go into the season as well you know they had some picks that they could trade they that i was hoping they could attach to deandre jordan they didn't do that maybe that's something that'll happen in the future and it, it seems to make too much sense in terms of the money that they're saving for a guy who was not even in the rotation at all in the playoffs i don't know if he played a competitive minute in the playoffs so I, I ended up though i mean those extensions are really big um and getting patty mills one of the one of the top two targets basically he and batum in that range of the tax pyramid level rudy gay was another one i think i think they went after the right guy with that they got him so I, i'll go with a b ultimately i went with b plus on some more grounds um we could go to the boston celtics and actually we have news as we've been recording this podcast that we'll have oh, another, yeah. we'll have another move that i will i will just add it in the flow and that will be fun um so a lot i think for them it's probably good to do it kind of trade by trade and then some of the macro stuff they traded kemba walker the 16th pick in the draft and a f- future second for al horford moses brown and a 23 second they then traded Cru- uh, Tristan Thompson for Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando. Then they used the the remainder of the Hayward trade exception to bring in Josh Richardson. They technically structured the Evan Fournier departure to the Knicks as a sign and trade to create a big trade exception, seventeen million. We'll see if they actually use it. Um, they also drafted Johan Begarin in the, with the 45th pick. They changed their coach and their general manager. Brad Stevens moves into the front office, replacing Ainge, and then Ime Udoka replaces Stevens. 
They And then they retain Marcus Smart, four years, 77.1. And the new news, they also extend, agreed to an extension with Robert Williams, four years, $54 million. This is one where the guarantees and the incentives are yes. really, really interesting. Where I thought to me, I mean, man, he showed a lot of promise at times in the playoffs. And man, he has only played 113 career games. <laughs> <laughs> and he was injured again in the playoffs. Gamely fought through that toe issue in the net series. But he started to show the ability now to switch and defend on the perimeter. And offensively, he's just got a lot of bounce. He just gets way up there above the square blocks a lot of shots causes problems for people and he's learning how to play harder so you know this is kind of the young restricted free agent center hasn't quite proven himself sort of contract but a step up from that as compared to say Pirtle and Avicha Zubats who you know I think we're kind of the same sort of a level as Robert Williams Robert Williams has shown though some more upside perhaps due to his athleticism can i give you a theory guys. yes robert williams should send a gift basket to jared allen because i think <laughs> i think brad stevens was scared of the oh if he has a good year then he's gonna get 20 million a year and for the celtics 20 million a year is a lot worse than let's call it 12 12 13 million a year we don't know the guarantees and all the full nuances of this contract and remember the general rule we're getting this as it's reported is that contract the actual terms are more team friendly than the additional the original reporting i would be shocked if the final year is fully guaranteed yes and i would also be shocked if there weren't significant incentives you go back to what the celtics did for example with jalen brown in terms of the incentives that was the last (laughs) non-max extension that they did so yeah we can talk a little bit more about williams so that now with that and the smart extension which we also have not talked about yet that was four years 77 million so why don't we get in on that i mean we're basically looking at the celtics being right at the cap if they waive al horford and if they wanted to stretch him they could make about 10 million in space which wouldn't make much sense so uh if they retain horford then they're probably about 16 17 million over the cap uh, with eight or eight million or so in room under the tax uh, for next year what did you think though of that smart deal for for 77 I think it's another reminder of how useful it is to have a have a line that you cannot cross. Like this was true in the Draymond Green negotiations and in the Marcus Smart ones for uh, extensions of non-max players, because then it's like, well, we can't do any more than this, and then so it risk mitigation for Smart. I I like it more for Smart than I do for the Celtics. I you know he's he's a good player on a good on a, on good teams. He can defend basically anybody and has gotten to his credit has gotten better as a shooter and as a distributor than where he started. So solid starter money for a low end solid starter guy. Yeah, totally totally on board with that. And but the thing that I find most interesting about this from Boston's perspective, and maybe this is just Brad Stevens, Zarin, and everyone else thinking about this differently, is I early in the like relatively early in the offseason, especially once the DeRozan thing happened. I thought that they were the Celtics might be lining up to make a run at Zach Levine, where basically they could clear an amount of cap space without really sacrificing anything. And they, you know, could have used uh, Robert Williams' cap hold and Horford's partial guarantee. And now they're more committed to this team than that. They can't. I mean, they could maybe do something via sign and trade, but the hard cap and all these other things, and the Bulls actually playing ball would be real challenges. And I'm optimistic about the Celtics overall, but I also think when you have your two young stars under contract, that maybe aim a little bit higher. So I'm, I don't. I think it's a reasonable decision. 
And I think that it mitigates a ton of risk because he smart would have been an unrestricted free agent and also mitigates a ton of risk on his perspective. But I'm still I'm really ambivalent on it. I, I think that I think that it's I understand why they did it, but I don't I still don't love it. Yeah, well the way that the Boston Celtics become a contender again probably is being able to trade for a third star to go with Tatum and Brown. And so if they do move on from Al Horford next offseason, having Smart, having Robert Williams under contract, those are medium-sized contracts that you can probably aggregate together that won't be too bad. Ah, uh, that, that's fair. That you can trade for a star. Like because yeah. there really is everyone else is going to be on rookie contracts for them as of that point. It, so, you know, I mean they had uh, this year, you know, they've got Richardson, they had Tristan Thompson at one point. They had Smart before. But yeah, if you go into free agency with Smart and Robert Williams next offseason and someone wants to come there and trade, yeah, maybe you could have used cap space uh, as well. But it, I mean, it just seems like trades is how you get guys at this point in time yeah so. that, that that's a really fair point and the other moves that we didn't that i didn't mention in the trade bonanza was they got dennis schroeder for the taxpayer mid-level on a straight one-year deal and they signed dennis canner and they also generated that 17 million dollar trade exception so i ended up going with i mean because i said the thing about how i was a little bit enthused i still ended up going with a b it's challenging because their grade will change a lot partially because we need to see how Ime Udoka is as a coach and we'll get more information on Brad Stevens as a front office type. And those are two of the huge franchise shifting decisions that they made that we do not have full information on yet. Um, Well, can I talk about Stevens that there was no process there? No, for sure. You know, I, I don't really care for that. And yeah, he, yeah, I'm maybe gonna move he didn't do a B minus because thank you for bringing up, bringing up the process part of it. That's even if we, even if he, he we don't know how he's going to work out, there is still a negative there. Yeah. And so, now he was under contract for a lot of money for a number of years and he didn't want to coach anymore so maybe that was part of why they decided hey we want to keep this guy in the organization and we got to pay him and we don't want him co- even if he doesn't want to coach he's making so much that he's going to stick around but he it kind of maybe his voice had kind of been lost at that point in time but Danny Ainge it hadn't had the greatest last couple of years I would say but also was a, at a very nice track record as a GM I mean I would assume that that's probably a downgrade um you know we'll see how Kemba Walker plays this year too right like what if Kemba Walker comes back and plays really well yeah. for the New York Knicks way way better than Al Horford plays um, I, I will say that I would rather so this is the weird part of all these transactions I would rather have Al Horford than the dead money for Kemba Walker that OKC has oh surely yes yeah. uh, that, that's absolutely but they wouldn't have bought him out obviously and, right. and Fournier they could have potentially retained him I don't think they made the right decision to not match that offer from the Knicks and the Knicks probably said he was going to start at the two I don't know if the Celtics could have said that and the smart thing he that could end up being a bad contract by the end but he's a good player and they retained him I think in the first year given some of the other guys out there he's he's worth that so uh, getting rid of Tristan Thompson for Chris Dunn and Bruno Fernando and picking up a, a second was pretty solid. Josh Richardson just on one year was good and they'll have bird rights on him to retain him if he plays well, if they want to do that also. And they got that $17 million trade exception, which I think would be useful. That came out as well in the 48 trade. They did give up a couple of seconds to make that happen, although one of them is a bullshit second. So yeah, I think... And we don't know about Yudoka yet either. Schroeder was very good value at the minimum level. Yeah, I think I'll just call it a B. I think there's just enough uncertainty here with some of these things that we just don't know quite what this team is going to look like. We don't know what Horford has left, how Schroeder's going to fit in. Cantor didn't really make much sense to me. These extensions are like, you know, decent and I get the theory behind them, but 
none of neither of them are like you know really great team value williams could become so potentially and we'll see the guarantees on that so yeah i, I think a b i'm just i think it could really work out well on the other hand there's some things that could leave us talking about some real egg on their face starting with walker if he plays well next year let's get to the atlanta hawks yeah the hawks they made a lot of long-term commitments but not changing personnel like the celtics did where or i mean the celtics signed extensions too john collins restricted free agent a four plus one total value 125 million they got trey young to ink a max extension but we don't know whether that's the 25 or the 30 percent that's going to depend on how things go this year um he did get a player option like jason tatum before him and luca and everybody else um, they also retained Lou Williams, one year, five million. They kept Nate McMillan as coach, moving him from interim to full-time head coach. They signed Gorgie Jang for part of the mid-level, one year, four million. They drafted Jalen Johnson, 20th, and Sharif Cooper, 48th. Cooper on a two-way now. They lost Tony Snell, Chris Dunn, and Bruno Fernando, and they traded because uh, they traded Dunn and Fernando for DeLon Wright. Um, I actually really liked this offseason for the Hawks. I thought Same. that they um, they didn't make any like big waves in terms of new additions, though I think Wright will help them. And well, J- they, Jalen Johnson might be that eventually. Exactly. Like so that so for me, I, I really like the Johnson pick at twenty. Um, physically talented, like aggressive, like not a like, he made a, some of those like young guy trying to do too much mistakes but to have somebody with his forward size and bounce available at 20 was incredible yeah i mean they even played him as a small ball center in summer league a little bit and certainly there were reasons why he fell uh, to that point but yeah i mean that that was pretty good value there and you know someone who could fit in maybe even give them like a a small ball look do some switching but a high upside pick and he just physically had some overwhelming moments in summer league jang bringing him in as a backup center is totally solid good stop gap a guy who who's qualified to play backup center but then can also recede in the background once a kongu comes back is good i think getting right for chris dunn and bruno fernando was excellent value they did give up a little bit to get tristan thompson first but then moved him for right right after that and i think that was well worth it getting lou williams to come back they've got right as insurance for him sharif cooper at 48 and usually guys drafted there don't work out he's going to be on a two-way now but at least they can bring him uh, along slowly john collins on the four plus one that that's like about right to me it's you fair. know that that's yeah. like a that's like a c contract but i liked pretty much everything else so i yeah, think, i, I want another yeah. question for you well so there are two one is um i think in some ways the hawks would regret not using the mid-level on a wing but who's going to take their money to be a deep bench guy like i mean the, right. the, the, that's it's a hard sales pitch it might just might not have worked and jang is largely going to fill in the gap while a kong was dealing with his injury and that's totally fine they don't yeah, really they, they also brought back solomon hill who yeah. gave them uh, decent enough innings eating in the regular season last year and so the other question i had was is was now the time to considering their run to the eastern conference finals was now the time to sell high on either kevin herter or danilo gallinari yeah there was some talk perhaps that gallo might be involved in a trade with the wolves that didn't end up happening i think they're in good shape here i think they've 
got another year to work out what deandre hunter who had that surgery again and john collins even though he's now on a max, uh, not a max contract but a, a 25 million dollar a year contract and cam reddish they can work out what those guys are while still having insurance for them and yeah you know what if deandre hunter looks unbelievable and cam reddish is ready to go and jalen johnson looks like he deserves some rotation minutes then you can move on from gallo at the deadline if you want to Two other quick notes before we leave you, just because there's while well, we're to have a complete podcast. Uh, I didn't mention it was a new signing. The terms on Taj Gibson's deal, it's a two-year, $10 million deal where the second year is non-guaranteed. The importance of it being a non-guarantee rather than a team option is that the Knicks can trade Gibson without his consent because of you. It's, the, it's a complicated bird rights thing, but basically you get a veto if you're going to lose your bird rights in the deal. Um, so I, I think that's more money than you need to pay Taj Gibson, but the opportunity cost is pretty low for the Knicks, and the non-guarantee makes it much more palatable because you can do other things. And then uh, per Will Gillery of The Athletic, Josh Hart's three-year, $38 million deal for New Orleans has a very unusual structure. First year, the coming year, is uh, $12 million guaranteed. Then the second year is non-guaranteed. And why the second year is non-guaranteed is because the third year is the closest thing we've ever seen in the NBA to a mutual option, something baseball has. I think football might. But basketball, does. the NBA does not, which is yeah, basically— except, except in the CBA. <laughs> Yeah, except in the CBA. And so what like, I mean like by that the is... the actual full CBA, that is. Yeah, the full CBA yeah. is that the way the third year of Hart's contract, the 23-24 year, it's $13 million roughly. And it is both a player option and non-guaranteed with an early guarantee date. So that means Hart can opt out and become an unrestricted free agent, or he can opt in and the Pelicans can waive him or keep him. You know, So they, there are a bunch of different decisions that can happen there. The big takeaway for me is I'm surprised Josh Hart got this little guaranteed money. Like I, the, to me, this looks like a contract where Hart will not be on the Pelicans w- on this contract beyond the coming season, though he could theoretically be on a different team. So Hart as a two guard, you know, 13 million in guaranteed money. That seems like maybe more for this year than he kind of deserved, quote unquote. I mean, I don't think you see Josh Hart as being in the same league as, say, Gary Trent. Or like he's Danny also Green. Older. Danny Green got 10 million. Yeah. And now, and Hart's 26. Not a guy I think has a ton of upside. You know, would you have rather gone lower and had 20 million guaranteed rather than 13? You know, would you have rather had a three year, $30 million deal with 20 million guaranteed? You know, the first two years guaranteed and non guaranteed in the last one? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess Hart at 26, if he has a good year, then the Pels will presumably opt him in. The other reason why the second year has to be non-guaranteed, because if you're going to have a non-guarantee on an option year, then the previous year's guarantee structure must mirror that option year. That's part of why this happened. Also, the guarantee date's pretty early, June 25th. So that's... uh, Now, if they really wanted to get wild, they could have made his guarantee date for the second year, you know, like the middle of the year or something like that. That would have been really wild. But, you know, I think this is interesting. So essentially what it is, is either it's going to be a one-year deal or a two-year deal. The third year, you mentioned the mutual option, right? Is either Hart will opt out or if he opts in, it's presumably because he's not a great value. Eh, maybe not. Maybe maybe he would opt in and the Pels would still want to keep him around for one more year. I could see maybe that would happen, but probably not. So, you know, Hart will get his $13 million guaranteed. 
to me, there's a big difference between 13 and 20 million, but uh, maybe not to him. And he's made he hasn't made much money in his career so far, but he still wants to keep his options open because the Pels probably wanted to lock him in for longer. And but, but they could have him for at least two years this way, get him for 26 to 28. And so Hart to be able to get one more bite at the apple at 28, hopefully having established himself as a starter. When I we, I first saw it, I was thinking, man, like he should have gotten more guaranteed money. But the more I think about it, I think this is actually relatively reasonable. So. The Pels get something, and I mean, it's really essentially that Hart is trading the ability to get a player option after the second year for having that second year be non-guaranteed. And I think given that he'll be 28 then, I think that that is is a reasonable, if we're going to say, hey, they would have, to guarantee that second year, they would have paid him, you know, less, so it would have been something along the lines of 20 million guaranteed. I think that's a reasonable trade-off for someone in his position. And I also, I think, this, yeah, I think it's good for the Pelicans too when you consider the possibility that they could have spending power in 22, though I have no idea who they would use that spending power on, but they, they could theoretically do something then. And one other thing here too, we you mentioned this on the pod, and I uh, when I re-listened to last time's episode, the West offseason grades, I was like, wait a minute, that was an error. Let's go back and fix it. But apparently, no, it, it is reported by Keith Smith, the Spotrack, and I'm sure you had it too, that Rudy Gay contract with the Jets is actually a two plus one yes. not a one plus one as was initially reported that's interesting that that might reduce my uh, opinion of that a little bit considering this is his age 35 36 and 37 seasons that's that's uh but the jazz are all in right now they needed someone at that position so it's been a lot of win now moves for them but hey you know they were the best regular season team in basketball last year it's a lot better for them to be doing win now moves than say the chicago bulls but uh, it is now time for me to win and go enjoy Malaga, Spain for a little bit longer. Thanks so much for being a subscriber and joining us. Or if you're listening on the public pod, we appreciate your support as well. We'll talk to you all later in the week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.